When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that if the testimony of two witnesses is true, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said, said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why, he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father, so Jesus replied, so Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do not do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed him. Thanks, Claire. Keep your Bibles open if you've got them there. We're going to consider these words this morning, but as we do that, how about I pray? Father God, we do thank you for your life-giving word, and I pray for all of us here this morning as we read it, that you would speak your word into our hearts. Father, you know where we are each at this morning, you know where our hearts are at, you know what it is that we are struggling with what it is that we are rejoicing in, what it is, most importantly, what we think of you. And so, Lord, we ask that by the truth of your word, you would shape us to be who you want us to be. May we trust in what we hear today so that in Jesus we may have life. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, back in the day, I'm old enough that I can say that now, back in the day, uh, when I was young and stupid, uh, I, I used to hang out with my mates during uni, uh, we would just hang out all the time, we would go driving, uh, we would cram five people into a little Hyundai Getz, 
It was all very good fun. Uh, but I had this one mate that any time we were driving at night, he liked to play a bit of a joke on us. Now, you see, uh, where I lived, there was lots of country roads, lots of narrow, windy, dark country roads. And what he would do is if we were driving along at night, people were kind of just chatting away. Without warning, without saying anything, he would just flick the headlights off. And so all of a sudden you had a car full of people driving down 100 k's an hour, narrow country road in complete darkness. Now, I don't recommend you try it at home. Uh, It's really stupid. But I'll tell you this one thing. When you are driving down a country road at 100 k's an hour in utter darkness, you really, really appreciate those headlights when they come back up. You see, it's only when we know what darkness looks like that we can really appreciate the light. It's only when you get a blackout that you really appreciate that stash of candles that you have in the bottom drawer of the kitchen. It's only when you're lost in the bush and the sun sets that you really appreciate that torch that you've been carrying all day. It's only when you're busting to pee and you've kicked every wall in your house that you appreciate that light switch when you finally found it. And friends, it is only when you recognize the darkness of our world and the darkness of your own hearts that you will ever come to love the one who said, I am the light of the world. And so this morning, as we study these famous words of Jesus, we're going to see three things. You'll see them on the handout on the back, if you've grabbed one. First, we're going to look at Jesus and see the light of the world. Secondly, we're going to look at the Pharisees and then also at ourselves and see the darkness of the world. And then finally, we're going to answer the question, how do we walk not in darkness, but in the light? How do we get this light of the world? So follow along with me. But to refresh your memory and to fully understand Jesus' words in John 8, we actually need to understand where we're at in the book of John, in the story. Because if you remember way back, it seems like ages ago now, in John chapter 7 and 8, Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem at the Jewish festival called the Festival of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. It's got a few different names. Now, the Feast of Booths was a way for Jews to remember God's care for them during the Exodus. And it was basically a week-long camping trip. Think about when you go camping, what do you do? Well, you sleep in a tent, you have to go collect water that you're going to drink and wash up with, and usually, unless you're staying in lots of national parks, you have a big fire. Well, this festival had all three of those things. To remember the 40 years that the Jews had spent wandering through the wilderness, Jews would spend the whole week of the Feast of Tabernacles living in tents or booths. That's where it gets that name. To thank God for the way that he provided water for the wilderness generation and for his provision of rain for their harvests, Every day of the festival, there was this priestly procession where water was carried up from the pool of Siloam and poured out on the altar in the temple. 
And if you remember back when Michael was preaching, he brought us this passage in John 7. Jesus kind of picks up on this image and says, I've got better water for you. I, I can give you living water if you come to me. We've got the tents, we've got the water, but it's the third feature of this festival that is relevant to us this morning. Because when the Israelites wandered through the wilderness, on their way to the promised land, God went before them, didn't he? He, went, he led them in a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. He led them, he guided them, he protected them. He was their light. So, to help remember this, to give thanks to God for this, at the start of this festival, the priests would light these four giant lamps in the temple courts in Jerusalem. Now, we don't know exactly what they looked like. What we do know is they were huge. Maybe they were kind of like the Olympic cauldron that they light at the start of the Olympics. We know from kind of Jewish sources that the light from them was so bright that it it lit up the whole temple area and even the area surrounding the temple. Kind of everywhere in Jerusalem, you could look up the hill to the temple and just see these bright lights burning through the whole festival. Now, they were in the temple courts. And so where we pick up the story in John chapter 8, we're at the last day of the festival. Verse 20 tells us that Jesus is standing in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Uh, Yeah, sorry. (laughs) He was standing in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, which is right where these giant lamps stood. And so it's on the day that these giant lamps are extinguished at the end of the festival. It's like the closing ceremony of the Olympics where they put the flame out is standing right under these giant lamps in the temple courts and that Jesus boldly declares, I am the light. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, the Jews have just spent their week celebrating and giving thanks to God for being the light who redeemed and guided his people out of slavery in Egypt. But now as those lamps go out, there is a new light standing in the temple courts. A light that outshines them all, the light of the world. Now notice that Jesus says he's not just a light, He's not one light among many, not just one of many ways that people can find their way in this dark world. That's a common idea in our culture, isn't it? That our Christianity is just just one way of, of finding the way. No, Jesus says he is the light, the only light. Notice also he doesn't say that he is the light of Israel. He doesn't say, I am the light of Western civilization. He doesn't say he's the light of Tawantan Noosa Presbyterian. No, he says he is the light of the world. And because he is the light of the whole world, he can also say that whoever, absolutely anyone, without exception, whoever follows him will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What does that actually mean, though? 
Jesus provides here a promise that if we follow him, we will never walk in darkness. Which means Jesus also provides a warning here that unless we follow him, then we will walk in darkness. But what is that darkness? How do we know when we're walking in it? Well, the remainder of this section that we just read gives us a really clear picture of what it means to walk in darkness. Because in verses 12 to 30, 13 to 30, we see the Pharisees are everything that Jesus is not. We get these contrasts. Jesus knows the Pharisees do not know. Jesus is from above. They are from below. Jesus is not of this world. The Pharisees are of this world. Jesus is the light. The Pharisees walk in darkness. And so in these verses, they demonstrate for us three things that that show that they are walking in darkness. First, we know they're walking in darkness because they judge by human standards. Because when Jesus makes this incredible claim to be the light of the world, what do the Pharisees do? Do they ask more questions? Do they, do they try and investigate? Do they marvel at this amazing claim that Jesus makes? No, they argue with him. And they argue with him in the most just senseless way. Jesus has just said this incredible thing, this delightful thing. But rather than dig deeper and find out more about what Jesus is teaching... They scrape the bottom of the barrel of excuses and pull out an objection that is just entirely misses the point. You see, what they do is they bring out Deuteronomy 17, which says that if you're going to accuse someone of doing wrong, well, you need a second witness to back up your claim. You can't just make up a story that that guy hit me and then expect justice to be done. No, you need a witness. It clearly doesn't apply in this situation, does it? Jesus isn't making an accusation. But the Pharisees are so hardened towards Jesus that they try to dismiss him on this legal technicality. It reminds me of the time when I was a kid and I was obviously being a jerk to my mates. I don't remember what I did. But my friend kicked me out of his house. He said, I don't want you here, go home. And what I did is I stood on the nature strip outside his house and just waited there. And he tried to tell me to go home. And I was like, oh, I'm allowed here. It's council property. It's stupid, right? I entirely missed the point that I had been a jerk and was, you know, upsetting my friend and just claiming this, oh, I'm allowed here. That's what the Pharisees are doing. Jesus had just made this amazing claim. And they're like, oh, you don't have a witness. They judge Jesus by their own flawed human standards. And as a result, they completely miss seeing the light. It's not just the Pharisees who do this with Jesus, though, is it? See, we still see this today. We see it with people who reject Jesus because his miracles don't align with science. We see it with people who oppose Jesus because he teaches things that don't align with our culture's accepted morality. You see, they're in the dark They demand that Jesus plays by their rules and as a result, they miss seeing the light. We see that around us. But brothers and sisters, it's not just those out there that are prone to judging Jesus by human standards. 
there is a temptation for each of us to assess the teaching of Jesus by our own so-called wisdom. Here's how it usually plays out. You hear Jesus say something radical, like, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, we hear that, but we have our own standards of goodness and blessing. And when you check your own list, usually being persecuted is not on there. Your own standard of goodness and blessing is a life of ease and comfort, right? And so by our measure of what is good, Jesus' teaching doesn't align. And so what do we do? Do we correct our own teaching? Or sometimes what we're often tempted to do is diminish Jesus' teaching. Maybe we just ignore it. We kind of flick past those verses. Maybe you pass it off as hyperbole. Oh, he's just exaggerating. He doesn't really mean that. But whenever you do that, you've imposed your standards over the top of Jesus. You've stepped back into darkness. Now, it plays out the same way with the way Jesus teaches about sex, about money, about forgiveness. In really subtle ways, we oppose Jesus. And every time we do that, we're like we're drawing the curtains and shutting out the light. The first sign that the Pharisees are walking in darkness, the first sign that we are tempted to walk in darkness, is that we oppose Jesus by judging according to our own standards, not his. The second sign the Pharisees are walking in darkness is that they don't recognize God. Now, there's lots of things in this passage that the Pharisees don't understand, isn't there? You read this passage and it's just like an ongoing... uh, you know, montage of Pharisaic stupidity. They just don't get it over and over again. Every time they open their mouths, they just show that they're confused. When Jesus says the Father testifies about him, the Pharisees ask, where is he? We're looking for a man to walk out. When Jesus says he's going somewhere that they cannot go, they say, is he going to kill himself? Then really confused with that one. When Jesus warns them about dying in sin, they just say, who are you? These guys are lost. They're in the dark. There's lots that the Pharisees don't know, don't see, don't understand, but their problem is not that they are unintelligent. It's not that they're just too stupid to know. No, the problem is that they don't know God. Verse 19, Jesus says, You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Now, you see, the Pharisees think they know God, don't they? They've built their lives around the pursuit of God, around a relentless effort to please God. They've constructed a whole system of laws and and rituals that are aimed at honouring God. But Jesus says they don't even know who God is. Now you need to appreciate just how crazy that would have sounded to anyone else in the temple courts that day. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and saying they don't know God. 
These are the God guys, the God representatives. If 60 Minutes were doing an investigative piece about God, these are the guys they would get in for an interview. Surely they know God. Jesus says they don't know him at all. And that's because it's entirely possible to look like one of God's people without having anything to do with God at all. You can devote your life to church. You can commit to doing everything that God commands. You can be a baptized, professing Presbyterian. And all of that can count for nothing unless you know the one that God sent. Now, there's a dangerous pattern in the church today where Christians are devoted to all sorts of God-related things without being devoted to God himself. You see, you get Christians who are devoted to church and in serving in some kind of ministry, and that is their thing. You get Christians who are devoted to being good in the community. You get Christians who are devoted to family, devoted to Christian or homeschooling, devoted to opposing woke culture or the LGBTQ agenda or devoted to opposing some other kind of evil in society. Now, those things may flow out of your relationship with Jesus, your love for Jesus. That's, that's totally fine. But don't make them your goal. Don't make them the thing you are devoted to. Be devoted to him. Those things are at the periphery. Be devoted to the one in the center. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Center your life on him. Because it's only when you know Jesus that you truly know God. And so friends, seek him. Pursue him. Crave his voice. And recognize that many of the people in your life who say they have rejected God don't know the God that they're rejecting. They have an idea a twisted idea. They're rejecting someone else. They're not rejecting the God that you know. Those living in darkness will judge Jesus by human standards. Those living in darkness don't know God. Finally, and worst of all, the way the Pharisees show that they are living in darkness is that they will die in darkness. By their refusal to accept Jesus, the Pharisees show that they are walking in darkness. And three times in verse 21 and in verse 24, Jesus showed them what happens when you choose to walk in darkness. He says, you will indeed die in your sins. Now, if you watch the news or read a newspaper, you'll see our culture has two different categories for dying. There is the death of an elderly person, and that's sad. And there is the death of a young person, and that's a tragedy. In our culture, there is almost nothing worse than a life cut short. But you want to know what's really a tragedy You want to know what's worse than dying young? Dying in your sin. That is a tragedy. 
how much more grief should we have over an 80-year-old who dies in darkness than an 8-year-old who dies in the light? Think about that, friends. You could live to be 100. You could have everything you ever set out to achieve. You could have all the money you ever needed. You could have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren who adore you. You could gain the whole world. Yet still it would be a tragedy if at the end you die in your sins. Unforgiven, your guilt unatoned for, standing before the righteous wrath of God. That would indeed be a life wasted. So friends, your life doesn't need to be a tragedy. If you live in darkness, you will die in darkness, but these words are spoken by the one who says, I am the light. And so the question for us is, how do we get this light? Where do we find this light? We know that Jesus is the light. We've seen the darkness of our world and even of our own hearts. But how do we get this light? How do we walk in this light? Well, Jesus points us to the critical thing in verse 28. You see, the Pharisees show us what it's like to be in darkness. And if we honestly reflect, well, we all know what it's like to walk in darkness, don't we? You know the darkness of your heart, if you've been honest with yourself. You know the darkness that you experience in this world from things within you and things outside of you. We all know what it's like to have hard hearts that oppose Jesus. We all know what it's like to suffer because of our sin and other people's sin. We all know what it's like to fail to recognize God as we go about our lives largely ignoring him. We all know what it's like to live in the darkness. But in verse 28, Jesus says, if you want to see the light of the world, there's one place for you to look. Look at the cross. Because in verse 28, he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Now what he actually says is, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. It doesn't really make grammatical sense, but what it does do is point to God's introduction of himself to Moses at the burning bush. How does God say Moses should know him? Know that I am. And Jesus picks up these words a few times in John and says, I am. He is God. He is the one who rules all things. And he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, when you have hung me on the cross, then you will see that I am. Then you will see that I am the light of the world. Because it's just as in the darkest of skies that the stars shine the brightest... And it's just as in the darkest of days, the light of the world is seen most clearly. And so friends, if you want to see the light, look to the hour when darkness reigned. Look to the day when the sun went black from midday to three in the afternoon. Look to the point in history when the light of the world stepped down into our darkness and took upon himself your darkness. Look to the one who took up his cross for you 
And then, friends, pick up your cross and follow after. Because Jesus says, if you will not put your trust in him, you will die in your sin, and that will be a tragedy. But friends, if you trust that Jesus died for your sin, you will live. You will never walk in darkness. Because in him, in the light of the world, you have the light of life. The life that produces life. The light that will never be extinguished. Friends, Jesus says to you, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Friends, keep following him. Let me pray. Father God, we praise you that you, the God of light, were willing to step down into our darkness. That you were willing to be exposed to the deeds of human darkness. That you were willing to let sin reign for an hour so that your light might shine forever. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the light of the world and we thank you for this incredible hope and this promise that if we follow him, we will never walk in darkness. We will never be without hope, never be without knowing our way if we follow after him. Father, as we read your word this morning, we we see the darkness of our own hearts exposed. We, We repent and we ask for your forgiveness of the times that we impose our own standards and we judge Jesus by our own wisdom. Father, we repent and we seek your forgiveness for the times when we ignore you, where we fail to recognize you, where we live as if you don't exist. But Father, we thank you that if we trust in Jesus, we will not die in our sins, but that we will live in the light. And so we pray that you would help us to keep walking in the light. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the light, following him every day of our lives. And we pray this, knowing that we need your strength to do this. And we ask it in his name. Amen.